0: Hi, and welcome to our service. If you're new here, you may be wondering who we are and what this church is all about. Well, the heart of the matter is this. We're a group of people doing our best to love God and love those around us. One of the ways we express this love is through worship, because our God is truly amazing. He created everything, great and small, and his love for us is incredible, powerful, and completely unconditional. We also spend time looking into His Word, the Bible, and receive practical teaching to guide us along His path in our everyday lives. But it doesn't end when the service is over. Throughout the week, we gather in groups to serve, pray, reach out to our community, and sometimes just to hang out and have fun. Life is full of challenges and none of us are perfect, but we believe that's one of the reasons God has brought us together. We're all here to help and support each other through each step of life's journey because nobody should have to travel alone. So thanks for joining us today. No matter who you are, we want you to know you are welcome.
1: Good morning. Nice to see all of you uh, here this morning. If you're visiting with us today we're uh, very excited that you're here to be a part of our service uh we will be having uh as we've announced the last few weeks we'll be having a a visitor's luncheon uh today so um even if this is your first day and you'd like to hang around and and uh, eat lunch with us and you know just hear a little bit more about the church we'd love to to have you come and uh we're excited uh to see what the lord is doing in his church Uh, He is continuing to save souls, and that will continue, and we are so, so thankful for that, and I trust that you're ready to worship uh, the Lord today. Um, We are going to have next Sunday uh, baptism, and so I already have one candidate. He's about six foot two and a little bit big, and so I'm going to have to work out all week long to make sure I can bring him. It's not taking him down that's the issue. It's bringing him back up, so... We look forward to to next Sunday morning and um, to that time of uh, baptism. And, you know, if you have not been baptized and you are an adult and you're a little older and you think, well, that would be embarrassing. No, actually, it would be a wonderful testimony. And so I would encourage you um, to pray about that, think through that. If you would like to be baptized, please call the church office uh, this week and, and you can arrange a time to come up and meet with me. And I'd love to to talk with you about that. We are going to, on Good Friday night at 6.30, have a movie that we're going to show. It's going to be outreach to our community. Uh, One of the things here at Grace that we probably could work on and do a little better is outreach in our own community. Uh, We always need to work on those things, and and, uh, that's okay to always work on stuff. It's good, right? Uh, Wives, you want your husbands to work on things all the time, don't you? There's always things we need to work on to get better at. And here at Grace, we want to see people come to Christ and be introduced to uh, salvation. Um, And Good Friday night, we are going to have a movie that's going to be shown. The movie came out about seven years ago, but I only saw it about two months ago. I was watching the preview in my office. It was a minute thirty-nine. And I had plenty to do, but I'm like, you know what, I'm watching that movie right now. (laughs) And so that preview just made me want to watch the movie. And uh, so I'm sure some of you have seen it, but we want to use it as an opportunity to reach into our community. We will be having that Easter weekend, it's hard to believe, it's only 10 uh, Sundays until Good Friday, and then 11 to Easter. And those weeks will go by quickly, and so I want to remind you of this opportunity, and um, On Easter Sunday, we'll be having actually a sunrise service. I've never done one. always wanted to do one. I'm not the greatest morning person in the world, and I'm not quite sure how that's going to look, but I know this. There would be nothing wrong with having a bunch of people up here celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look forward to that. But I wanted to just show the trailer to the movie, and we'll be uh, passing out information that you can hand out to people as time uh, gets closer. So, all right.
2: I served the Roman Empire I fought wars against those who did not believe in our gods
3: But nothing could prepare me for the truth That has now risen
2: He was very special They're fanatics. What was his name? He was called Yeshua. The man's dead. His followers are in hiding. He's been a threat.
1: Take control out there and finish things. The tomb is sealed, guarded with your life. If this body vanishes, we
2: have a potential messiah. Where has he gone? You tell me. You will track down the corpse of Yeshua. Whoa,
0: whoa. What happened to the Nazarene? He's right here. Open your heart and see.
4: Church, can we all stand up as we prepare our hearts to worship and song this morning? That first video said something that is oh so true uh, life presents itself with many, many challenges, right? You guys agree with that? You got challenges in life. One of our greatest challenges is something that we probably don't think about a lot, and that is we make for ourselves idols and we put those idols before the holy God that made us. Uh, We may not carve on wood and stone and metal, but we may set our hope in our job or um, children, a state of mind, an idea. Uh, We are prone to idols. And so I thought this morning, it's right in line with what Thad's going to be teaching on, and and I thought for us to start out our morning with a song of prayer. Um, This song is a prayer. It comes straight out of Psalm 24. And it speaks to the fact that the God that created us is the only one uh, who's worthy for us to set our hearts on. Uh, He's it. And and we naturally, in our natural state, we naturally set our, our hearts on anything but Him. You guys fill in the blank. So just make this song, as we start out this morning, a prayer.
2: we bow
4: Of Scripture, the scene here is the disciples and Jesus had just left the upper room, and somewhere between that upper room and Gethsemane, Jesus teaches his disciples the following. And it's it's, it's important to note here: Judas is not in the group at this point. He had he had left abruptly earlier in that passage. And Jesus says this. And here's the culmination of these things. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I heard something recently that said created things cannot fill us. Created things cannot fill us. I am so guilty of trying to fill my life with happiness and whatnot with everything except the one source that can truly satisfy our soul. And this song's all about that. This is the very air we breathe. Um, this is the food for our life. That Jesus Christ alone is our very sustenance to live. Paul said, "It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's no longer I live." It's-
2: This is my daily bread. This is the end. I breathe. This is the
1: Thank you, Kevin and the boys in Savannah. Have you heard about the pastor that was known for his lengthy sermons? While he was preaching, a man got up from his congregation right in the middle of the message and didn't return to just ...prior to the closing of the service. And after the service, the pastor went up to the gentleman who he knew well... ...and he said um, to him, Sir, where did you go? The man said, I went to get a haircut. (laughs) The pastor said, well, why didn't you do that before the service? To which the man replied... I didn't need one then. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you may not need a haircut you know, today. You might. I don't know. But Hopefully, we'll get through this together. Um, I want to ask you a question to start with. Have you ever felt like God was distant. You ever felt that way and maybe you were close to him at one point or another, but have times where it seemed like the Lord was far away. Well there's an old illustration that compares God with the Son S U N We can feel its presence on a warm, sunny day, but not so much during cold winter nights. However, it is not the sun that moved. The earth revolves around the sun and rotates on its axis. When it seems that God is distant, we can say for certain he has not moved. One of the things that the Lord has been showing me as I've been going through First John is that I have had in my life many wasted opportunities to represent him. I want to illustrate that um, for you this morning. Um, during my high school years, I was a born-again believer. I knew the Lord. I could lead someone to salvation. I knew how to share the gospel, although I did not do that much at all. But I spent some time in rebellion in high school, uh, not walking with the Lord. That is a fact. In fact, I would say from my freshman year, the middle of it, until the end of my junior year, you couldn't tell me from an unbeliever. My best friend, Troy, he went and signed up for the Navy. He asked me to go with him. I read the fine print and said, no, thank you. I went to Bible college instead and came to Birmingham, Alabama only because my father wanted me to come to Bible college for a year. And the rest is history. The Lord just had a different plan for my life. One of the things that has eaten at the core of me for years is the wasted opportunities with my friends in high school. I've often thought if they ever asked me to come and just speak for five minutes, which they would never have me do. I would only want to share the gospel with them. Well, when I got to Southeastern, I was, I guess, into the semester just maybe three or four months. And uh, my friend Troy was uh, in Guam. And I wrote him a letter, and I apologized to him for my behavior. And I told him it did not represent who I was. As a born again Christian. I thought oh, that will be well received. He'll get the letter and I'll share the gospel with him. And the love of Christ. And he'll write me back and say. Thad this has had such an impact on me. Tell me more about Christ. Well, That wasn't the reaction I received. In fact in 1989 my parents moved from louisiana to arkansas and i went back to help them and i went to see him i knew where he was working he had just gotten out of the navy and i walked up to where he was working and he was about to get a break and he walked outside and he looked at me and he said i never want to see you again it matters how we live the christian life we represent christ And if we're going to represent him well, it's imperative that we come face to face with the issue of abiding in the Lord Jesus. Um, I have a proposition for you this morning, and that is that sin is a barrier to fellowship with God. Have you ever thought about your weak? Have you ever, like, gone through a week and just kind of evaluated that? How was my walk with the Lord during the week? I mean, you know, we hear that question maybe at a youth group or in our small groups or whatever. And I often wonder, what do we do with those questions? You know, I mean, I'm speaking to myself. Because I was challenged as I was growing up, not only with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but walking as a believer. And I think that one of the primary purposes that John has in writing to these believers, which is my viewpoint, is he wants them to understand how critical it is to fellowship with the Lord. That if we're going to be instruments of righteousness used for the glory of God, we must abide in him. Because we can't produce righteousness. Righteousness is produced through us, by the Lord. And so it's imperative that we understand this issue of fellowship with God. Well, last week, together, we looked at the problem. Chapter 3, John tells us the problem. Remember in verse 4. I gave you last week's message condensed in your notes. It's condensed. It's not everything. But we found that even Christians can have a problem with sin. And that sin is rebellion against God and His Word. And we looked at the illustration of David. It's a three-letter word and it's one that quite honestly most people want to avoid today. They want to avoid the discussion. And can you even believe that you can attend a funeral without someone mentioning the word sin? You say, that that's not appropriate to mention. What are you talking about? Funerals are for the living. And funerals are an opportunity to talk about the one that can give you eternal life. Funerals are an opportunity to say, this person lived for Christ. Funerals are an opportunity to share with people the good news of the gospel. I know people who've been saved at funerals as a result of the gospel being presented, but there indeed, I think, is a tension today that exists between ministers and congregants and between ministers and boards And when it comes to the issue of sin, it's let's make sure we don't discuss that too heavily because we will have a mass exodus. But if one of the apostles was here, he would talk about sin and what the Lord did with that. Because that's what John does. He not only identifies the problem, but as we're going to see this morning, he begins in talking about the solution to the problem. Now, I believe in the context of the passage, he's talking about the solution to being, uh, to being controlled by sin or uh, uh, having victory over sin in our lives as Christians. And he begins to tell us about the solution to the problem beginning in verse 5. So sin is the problem. It's a problem in the lives of unbelievers, obviously, but it is a problem in the lives of believers, as we saw last week. What did Paul say himself about his own life? The very things I don't want to do, I what? I find myself doing. In fact, I find myself practicing those things. So sin is a problem even for the believer. And verse 5 says, you know, here it is, the solution. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. That's the way the text reads. One little note there for you just because it doesn't appear in your translation. The verse says you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. The article appears before the word sins. It's the sins, meaning each and every sin. All the sins. Say, Does that matter? Uh-huh, it matters. <laughs> So he appeared to take away the sins, all the sins, and then he says, "And in him there is no sin." I've given you on your handout some observations, and I wanted to talk about those this morning. First of all, John's audience already understood this doctrine. You say, How do you know that? Well, the the word "know" there—they already knew it. It was something that they had already known. As believers, they knew the doctrinal truth of the appearance of Christ and that he came to take away sins. They knew that. How many of you this morning, I assume there are many in this audience, that know that? But there may be some that do not know that. I'm reminded of the Gospel of John. When John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, John's audience already understood this doctrinal truth. Secondly, you see there that Jesus was made manifest, referring to his incarnation. Even the way it's worded there in 1 John, um, you understand that he already existed in eternity past. It was just that he would take on flesh, as John tells us. Jesus was made manifest. Here in the text it says, you know that he appeared. He did that, but he already existed. Jesus did, but the gospel of John says that he took on flesh and he dwelt among men. We will talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. The third thing that we learn from this verse is that Jesus was made manifest to take away the sins. All right, the sins that, that uh, all of us have. He appeared to take away the sins. I think I even put that. Yeah. He was made manifest to take away the sins. Well, you remember how John dealt with that in chapter 2? That he was manifest to take away what? Not only our sins, but the sins of what? The whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. So he was made manifest to take away the sins. Um, There's a couple of things under that that we need to understand as it relates to this phrase, take away. All right? Take away looks back to a past historical event. Okay? So... What past historical event are we talking about? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This phrase looks back to the cross. Takeaway does. Jesus went to the cross and he paid for the sins of mankind. You have some who teach that he only died for the elect, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible tells us, in fact, in the Gospel of John, where John John himself could have easily delineated a difference, he did not do that. He says, not only did he come and make satisfaction for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, who's our there? At least the apostles and believers. Um, Christ. Atonement was sufficient for all. Now, will all believe? No, many have rejected. And many will continue to reject. And they will die in their sins. And they will spend forever in the place called the lake of fire. Being tormented night and day. And I think one of the most excruciating things about hell is not just the The pain and suffering that we read about in the scriptures, but it's isolation. Man was made for what? Fellowship. And heaven's going to be a place of fellowship, and I know we're all looking forward to that. So the next time you run across someone that you know is not saved, maybe think in terms of, wow, this person, if they do not trust Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell, away from the one that loves them the most. That paid for their sins. Um, There's a hymn that we sing. And it's a hymn that I heard this last week in a service. It's called, How Great Thou Art. I won't sing it for you. But the second verse goes like this. You ever sing a song and you've sung it for years and you hadn't really thought a whole lot about the words? Well, here here is the second verse. And when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to do what? To take away my sin. Um, Critical. Well what did the work of Christ on the cross accomplish as it relates to this phrase? Well There are three things here for us to consider. The work of Christ on the cross made it possible to be delivered from the penalty of sin. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're delivered from what? The penalty of sin. But secondly, the work of Christ on the cross made it possible to be delivered from the power of sin. It no longer has to dominate you or control you. But does it at times... I believe answer yes. I believe it does. And I believe that's why John writes with such urgency. I think he really wants these guys, these believers, to understand the importance of fellowship. The importance of remaining in the Lord. So not only did the work of Christ on the cross make it possible to be delivered from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. You know, how is that daily walk with the Lord going? Do you ever get frustrated with the sins that you repeat over and over and over again? Well, how in the world do we deal with those things so that there's victory? Well, the Lord made it possible that we could have victory over the power of sin in our life. And then thirdly, the work of Christ on the cross made it possible to be delivered from the presence of sin. Show of hands, how many of are looking forward to that day? You know, Kevin talked about idols, and all of us have them and have had them. We're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. You look at our world today, and it is just spiraling down. And there, there's more and more rebellion against God. And we're looking for just, you know, just where are those glimmers of hope that the Lord is working? Do we still believe that the Lord is working in the midst of all this ugly answer? Yeah. Did you guys see when the Hamlin kid from Buffalo was hurt? You remember that? I'm sure even if you weren't a football fan, you've seen that story. Um, Dan Orvlosky, who works for ESPN you know what he did on national TV? Live, he prayed. <laughs> I watched that clip and I was like, whoa. What was the reaction of the world? Oh, that's awesome that he did that. No. Isn't it amazing when man's in crisis mode, what they do? And we have the answer, don't we? We know it's Christ. So one day, we will be delivered as believers from the presence of sin. But our primary focus, I think in the first John, yes, there's that. But I think also there is number two there. All right? Franklin Graham said this. It was Jesus Christ who willingly went to the cross, and it was our sins that took him there. Say, Thad, why in the world would you put that simple statement up there? It's a good reminder. Because the Bible tells us who sinned. All have what? Sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Well, there's another aspect to this phrase, takeaway, that's really important. And Franklin Graham touches on it, but it's incredible. Takeaway is in the active voice. You say, Thad, I don't care. Well, you might not. But it speaks of, the active voice speaks of a volitional choice. Jesus chose. (laughs) Think about that. He volitionally made the decision to go to the cross. And to pay for the sins of man. You say, well how do we know that? We know that just because of the active voice here that's used in that phrase. But we know it also because the word tells us that. Remember in the Gospel of John, it said Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life. I do it for the sheep. I mean, how many people say have said over the years, yeah, I'll die for you, I'll die for you, I'll die for you. And, but when we think about the fact that Jesus Christ did nothing wrong. He was guilty of nothing. But he voluntarily gave himself up. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up. Same voice there in Ephesians. Same voice there in John. It describes a volitional choice. As I begin to think about that this week some in terms of my own life I thought, Lord, you voluntarily gave yourself up for me. Wow. I don't know that we probably think about that enough. But The one who loves us the most then did that voluntarily because... Paul tells us in Romans that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, what Christ died for us. He did that for us. So as we look at verse 5, we see then the solution in the first part of the verse. But in the last part of the verse, in verse 5, it says, And in him there is no sin. So he's established the fact that Christ is the solution. But then he closes verse 5. If you're looking at it, you're like, why does he say this? Why couldn't he just say what he said in the beginning of verse 5 and be done with it? Well, I believe there is a clear answer. And the clear answer is verse 6, the beginning. Notice what it says in verse 6, the beginning. No one who abides in him sins. What does he say at the end of verse 5? In him there is no what? There is no sin. So we land on that first, that he is the sinless one. The scriptures tell us over and over again that in him there is no sin. Like First Peter 2.22. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed what? No sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In fact, when you come to the cross and you you come to that scene itself, I mean, one of the most amazing statements that Jesus makes from the cross is what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was guilty of nothing, and yet he took on man's sin. And did you know that not only did he take on the sin of man, but our Lord Jesus was separated for the first time from his Father. Great pain, great agony that the Lord went through. In fact, how does it describe that time prior to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane? It says there there was so much agony there that he was what sweating drops of blood i'm not quite sure that we can understand all that i've thought about it it's like i can be thankful that he went to the cross but understanding that he was without sin and he took all that on So that I could spend eternity with him. Thank you, Lord. Robert Clark said, The eternal Son of God became the sinless Son of man, that the sinful sons of men might become the beloved sons of God. (laughs) That's a mouthful. Try to say that three or four times in a row. So, John tells us that not only was Jesus the solution and is the solution, but. He tells us he's the sinless one. Well, then we come to verse number 6. And um, I have given the point in verse 6 that he's talking about the separation between abiding Christians and those who are not abiding. But as you see from all of those notes that you have, there are a lot of notes there for you. Um, I typed all those myself. So, um, you may be thinking, I bet Amanda or Debbie typed those, and the answer to that is new. No. I did it. But if you thought that Debbie and Amanda stapled the papers, you would be correct, because they stapled it on the wrong side. <laughs> All right. So, let's look at this Verse. Now, remember what he's just said in verse 5. And in him there is no sin. And we know, don't we, through the discussion of 1 John to this point, that John has emphasized over and over again the importance of believers doing what? Abiding in the Lord Jesus. Well, there's two views, and as we've said all along, there are two views. And I hold the, relate, uh, the fellowship view and there are people, even in this, own con- in this congregation, who hold the relationship view. But I want to say right from the get-go that, um, number one, uh, this is not a primary issue, okay? I'm going to talk about some primary issues, even from these verses at the end of our, our lesson today. But um, these are secondary issues. Not in, not in the sense that abiding in the Lord is not important, it's critical. But in the sense that there are two different viewpoints from very, very good theologians. I mean, very good theologians. You're going to read these quotes and go, hold on a second. Spurgeon said this, so he's got to be right. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you going, hey, what, what's going on? But I disagree with C.H. Spurgeon. And it's okay to disagree. It's the way we disagree that's the issue on things that are secondary. So, I want to read through these and make some comments If I don't do it that way, then um, I think we could possibly get lost. And I don't want us to get lost. So he says, first of all, let's deal with the first phrase. No one who abides in him sins. Well, the relationship view says this. This view states that John is talking about a lifestyle of sin. The word sins there uh, is uh, present tense. And it does mean continual. Um, But... Present tense does not always mean continuous action. Like, for example, when it says that Jesus came down from heaven. He didn't come down and come down and come down and come down. It's present tense. So what do you do with that? You go, well, there's a problem. So this does use present tense. but I believe the context would argue that he's talking about fellowship. Um, This phrase, the relationship view says... Uh, refers to the fact that a genuine believer does not have habitual sin in their life. John does tell us that believers occasionally sin, but that a lifestyle of sin is inconsistent with the life of abiding, referring to permanence of relationship. In other words, they're talking about position here. So the life of abiding uh, in Jesus Christ. Kenneth Weist, in commenting on this, and I love Kenneth Weist, I have Kenneth Weiss books in my office. (laughs) He says the person who is abiding, and he means positionally, in Christ is not habitually sinning. Well, you know what? I've been saved since I was seven. I'm just going to talk about my life and not yours. How about that? And in one sense of the word, I have been a habitual sinner. You say, Thad, you sin all the time? I don't think so. Not when I'm abiding in the Lord. But when I'm not abiding in the Lord, I'm sinning. Now, do you know that I can illustrate it this way? I'm living the Christian life. I'm abiding in the Lord. We'll just take one week. And all of a sudden, during that day, bam, there's sin. That happened the other day to me. I was walking with the Lord. I was having a good time with the Lord. And I'm driving. And I'm listening to Christian music. And the next thing you know, this little car that I could squash with my truck is right behind me. And I'm talking about right behind me. My immediate response was not good. I tapped my brakes. You know, get off of me. If any any of you want to admit you say that phrase, I, it's a struggle for me. Get off of me. And then I'm going a little bit further, and he is right there. Get off. I don't even know if it's a he. It's a he or she, and they're on me. And my attitude starts getting worse and worse. Has that ever happened to you? Next thing you know, Thad Blunt is sinning. Then I'm walking with the Lord, and that's going okay for four or five hours the next thing you know there's this sin that pops up in here see we think about sin a lot of times in terms of action do 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 well my mind is constantly racing any of you have little mice con- my mice are constantly going right constantly and my thoughts are not constantly good but when I'm abiding in the Lord they're good when I'm not abiding in the Lord they're not good and so, you know how often that has happened? I came to know the Lord when I was seven. And in one sense of the word, I have been a habitual sinner. Every single day, week, whatever it may have been, three days, it goes by and then I'm doing well. I'm, I don't believe there's any sin. But I've sinned consistently since I was born. In sin did my mother conceive me? And I made a choice at one point in time. When mom said do that. Or dad said do that. And I looked at them and said no. I'm sure that happened. Quite certain it happened. You don't have to teach little toddlers. To look at you and say no. They just do it. Why? Because just as the psalmist says. We're born in sin. In sin David said. Did my mother conceive me? So. There is one sense in which we continually sin. I think that's why it's so imperative we understand this issue of abiding. Because as we're abiding in him, there can be victory and no sin. Well, this relationship, view, Kenneth Wee says, the person who is abiding in Christ is not habitually sinning. The child of God is a habit of life, does righteousness. And sin is not a habit with him. John is not teaching sinless perfection here. He does not deny that a Christian sins at times. Indeed, he admits the possibility of sin in the Christian's life, but a lifestyle of sin is not the rule. Okay, that's the relationship view, and I wanted to honor that. Um, And listen, I understand there are many of you that probably have never come at it from this perspective, may not, I guess, and and so this is new for you, and that's okay. It's okay to read through this and ask the Lord to work in you and teach you. Because I'm going to show, show you later that there are some common things that we can agree on. And that we need to think through. The second viewpoint of this phrase and really the verse is the fellowship view. This view states that when a believer is abiding in Christ, there is no sin. In other words, if I'm in fellowship with the Lord. Or I could use it this way because he says it this way in 1 John 1. When I am walking in the light as who? As he is in the light. Which is key as we come to verse 9 next week. We'll see that. This view states that when a believer is abiding in Christ, there is no sin. This is based on the truth of verse 5, which states, In him there is no sin. So when a believer is abiding in him, he's not sinning. Or as Paul puts it, when we are walking by the Spirit. Because what does he say? When we're not walking by the Spirit, we're carrying out what? The lust of the flesh. Um, so, when a believer is abiding in him, he is not sinning. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. I mean, John's not trying to confuse us here about this issue of sin. In fact, I believe he's writing to these guys saying, hey, we sin. And he puts himself in that category. Back in chapter 1, he says in verse 8, just listen as a reminder. If we say that we, he puts himself in the equation have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us so John's not saying that we never sin we do sin some Christians have used this verse to support the theory that Christians are sinless and perfect I've met with those kind of people I have and they say hey Thad once I got saved I no longer sin I'm like hold on a second I know we got this new nature And Christ is sinning, I mean, Christ is sinless, but when I'm not abiding in him, I'm sinful. There's a difference between the old man and the new man, the old nature and the new nature. And he's going to explain more of that in verse 9. The opening chapter along with the beginning of the chapter 2 refute that this nonsense, I called it nonsense... This does not mean that the the old man is not present, because the old man is present, which Paul, remember last week, pointed out. The old man is present. Um, And obviously, in Paul's life, there was a problem that he had, just like I believe all of us share. He says, But it does mean that when a believer is abiding in Christ, righteousness is being produced. Righteousness is not being produced if we're not abiding in Christ. Okay? Okay? John Walvoord and Zane Hodges both, um, this is both what they say, the believer doesn't abide 24-7 and will never do so in this life. However, when we abide in him, we are not sinning. Why? Verse 9 tells us because his seed abides in us. When you accepted Jesus Christ, he gave you his nature. And there is no sin in his nature. Okay? And he refers to that in verse 9. Our new nature is perfect. In our redeemed nature, we do not sin. But then, here's the question posed. So why do we still sin? Because our old nature resides in us as well. That's why. And so, how can we have victory in the Christian life over the power of sin? We must abide in Christ. That's the answer. And that's what he tells his audience We must abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the viewpoints on the first statement. In the second statement, there's more of the same. Notice he says at the end of verse 6, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Hold on a second. John saw him, John knew him, John sinned. What's he talking about? Well, again, there's a couple of different viewpoints uh, consistent with what was said before. There's the relationship view. And they say with this statement, John is drawing a strong contrast between believers and those that are not genuine believers. And I believe that as well. And the strong contrast, however, is not a relationship contrast. The strong contrast from my viewpoint is he's talking about those who are abiding in the Lord, fellowship, and those who are not, okay? So I think there's a strong contrast, too. I just disagree with the contrast. Um, The person that is described as one who has not seen him or known him is describing a person who is not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. There are a lot of people that hold that view, okay? And there are a lot of people that hold the other view. You go study it on your own, you're going to see that. John MacArthur, who I respect as a, He's a great apologist, okay? Some of you probably have a MacArthur Bible uh, right with you in your lap. And you're saying, hey, he doesn't agree with this. Well, he doesn't. He did not agree with the fellowship view. He says this phrase, has never seen him or knows him, clearly reveals that this person is not saved. If no check against the habitual sin exists in someone who professes to be a Christian, John's pronouncement is absolutely clear. Salvation never took place. That's his viewpoint. Like I said, there are many that hold to that view. There are many that hold to the fellowship view. The fellowship view says this. Does the phrase, no one who sins has seen him or knows him, mean that a person who sins does not have a relationship with God? Gee, I hope not. Because we sin. And I think we can make an argument in some respects that we habitually sin. It's something that comes over and over again in our lives. Um... I put, I sure hope not, because this would mean a lot of people are on their way to hell. It's clearly pointed out in chapters 1 and 2, we sin. You know what I believe the problem is, in a nutshell, is that you have people who've come to Christ by faith, have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I don't know how you're going to hear this, but I believe a lot of Christians... They're saved, they're justified, positionally, they're correct before God because they've been covered with the righteousness of Christ, but they've never been discipled. Can that happen? It, ha- it does happen. So it's critical. That's one of the things I would just encourage to parents. Hey, talk to your children about salvation, yes. And when they come to Christ, you know what? Still rehearse that salvation, but... Talk to them about the importance of living in Christ or abiding in Christ. About the importance of fellowship. Uh, It is sin that causes blindness and loss of fellowship with God. A believer who is in sin made the decision not to see him or spend intimate time with him. Uh, That intimate comes from that word no because he uses the word gnosko. Interestingly... You wouldn't think I would put this slide up because you would think, well, this slide proves the relationship um, view, but it doesn't. John's choice of the perfect tense verbs seen and known are interesting, Dr. Anderson says. The perfect tense intensifies John's point. (laughs) You know, it makes it more intense. To know in the perfect tense becomes to know intensively or intimately And to see in the perfect tense becomes to see very closely. And so what is this view? Well, J. Dwight Pentecost, I think, sums it up pretty well. John is not saying that the one who has been born again can never sin, but rather the one who is sinning is not experiencing the fullness of the life of Christ. That's the issue, and that's why he uses the words see and know, which if you go back... To chapter 1, he uses the word see uh, in the very, very beginning as he's describing what they saw as apostles in relationship to Christ. Um, He says, John is not inferring that the one who sins has not been born again, nor that he has lost his salvation. Um, He is affirming through this statement that the one who is sinning has left fellowship with God. So that's how he sees that last phrase. Not seeing him, not knowing him has to do with fellowship. And when a person is in sin, are they seeing the Lord like they need to see him? Answer, no. Are they being intimate with the Lord? Answer, no. So that's uh, the view of the fellowship view, as Pentecost says, and there are many others that, that have that viewpoint as well. I gave you this so that you could go back and read it and read it and reread it and read it and reread it, it. It's a lot there to consider. So, um, let's see. What did I do with that? Yeah. I do not know where I got that quote. A Christian in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus wants sin out of his life. True? Yeah. The Christian who can dismiss the sin in his life has not... Caught a close vision of the Savior and does not know Him very intimately. Oh, that's still Anderson, okay? Because I just I think I put, yeah, that's still Doctor Anderson. So he says a Christian in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus wants sin out of his life. The Christian who can dismiss the sin in his life has not caught a close vision of the Savior and does not know Him intimately. Which brings to the the question to the forefront: Do you know the Lord intimately? that happened for you I can say as a born again believer the first time I think I was really challenged with that would have been 15 years old and I grew up in the 70's and there was a whole lot of evangelism going on back then you know Billy Graham was a big part of that um You had a lot of crusades, a lot of mentality. I mean, preaching the gospel. A lot of churches didn't have necessarily, hey, someone teaching through the scriptures as much as they had. Let's share the gospel, share the gospel. But I remember when I was 15 years old, uh, Jim Pence came to our church. And I was in his youth group. And he let us fix up the youth youth room kind of like we wanted to. Um, But the first night that, we had a meeting, he said, hey guys, you're going to need your Bible every week and I'm going to give you a strong concordance and we're going to study the Word. Well, man, I mean, i would never had anybody say that to me. And I can say that the Lord began working on this issue of walking with the Lord, beginning mostly with Jim Pence who challenged us In these things. And the importance of fellowship with the Lord. Alright, so. What do we do with all this? Well, you might take those sheets of paper and throw them in the garbage. I hope not, because I typed it. Um, If you wanted to get rid of them, just drop them by my office. That would be all right. Um, But I asked the question, what are we going to do with this? Because clearly... um, (laughs) Clearly, I, I might should have thought about it like, um, who was it, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll said that um, in his years of the pastoral ministry, he did not teach First John on a Sunday morning. And um, we don't have Sunday night services anymore. Um, but maybe it's one of those Sunday night studies, I don't know. But I'm not going to cut us short. I'm going to go through it verse by verse. I'm going to give you the views. Let the Holy Spirit of God work in our lives. How about that? Well, there are some things that we can't agree on. Um, I wrote in there for you. Acknowledge, what do we do with all this? Acknowledge that great scholars of God's word can can and do disagree. (laughs) That is a fact. And if you're waiting to go to a church where there's full agreement on everything, you know, it's not out there. Um, It's not going to happen. There are primary things, however, that we need to agree on. The gospel being one of them, right? Questions that we must ask as believers in the church concerns the hills to die on. For me, this is not a hill to die on. Not dying on this hill. I don't want to spend two hours in my office arguing my point. For this church, I believe this is not a hill to die on. This is, that's. Notice the little word, I, I believe. But even in these two verses, there are hills to die on that we all can likely and hopefully agree on. Number one, man is sinful. This includes Christians. How many agree on that? Good. We have wide agreement. I need you to participate because I need to see the wide agreement. Sin is rebellion against God and his word. Agree on that? Good. Good. Jesus Christ was in the beginning with God. Please agree on that. <laughs> he was not created. However, there is doctrine out there that says he was created. But even the phrase here he uses, when he appeared, points to a time in the past he already was in existence. He had just not taken on flesh. Um, Jesus, I think I did put it up there or didn't I put it up there for you? hold on a second no Um, I put it in my notes I shortchanged you a statement I'm very sorry Jesus took on flesh and dwelled among men or with men Um, here's some other things we can agree on Jesus Christ was made visible in order to take away man's sin we agree on that? He took away the penalty of sin, and he's given us an opportunity, right, to, to, to overcome the power of sin as we abide in him. Um, next, a relationship with God is only found through Jesus Christ. We agree on that? Good. Um, and then, fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is critical to spiritual growth. You believe that? So maybe it's that last one that we really need to work through. That issue of fellowshipping with the Lord. I want to ask, I'm I'm almost hesitant to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us. What have you found in your Christian life in terms of fellowship that's critical? Okay, we have this principle of abiding and we know we need to abide in him in order to fellowship with God. But what have been the key components in your life to fellowship with the Lord? Anyone? Just throw out something. Consistency. Consistency. What do you mean by that, Daniel? Consistency in um, fellowship. fellowship. All right? How do we do that? So we're allowing the Lord, right, to help us in that. And then we have that common fellowship, like you're talking about with other believers, the importance of that. Okay? Anyone else? Bible study. I should have put that picture up on here, George. This has been a perfect time to put that card up here about the importance of fellowship. But that Bible study piece, studying the Word of God. So you guys, one of the great things about grace is we have a lot of different opportunities for you to study the Word of God. Yeah, you know, we have women's Bible study. We have small groups. We have Sunday schools. That needs to take place. That's good. Anything else? Pray continually. Pray continually. Surrender and transparency. Surrender and transparency. Him. Praising Him. Willingness to see our sin for what it is. All right, so... Let me go back over these just for a second. got time. It's only 11.46. So prayer. So that intimacy issue prayer, I mean, we may think about verses like 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. We're like, well, (laughs) this is what happens. I think sometimes some people, that's, I don't understand that verse, so let's just move on. It's the attitude, right, of continual dependence on the Lord. So I think that's really good. David, what did you say? Surrender and transparency. Surrender. Transparency to the Lord. Okay. All right. Surrender to the Lord. Transparency. Being honest. Kind of focusing on what Louie Ann says. Honest about our our, um, condition. Because at times, my condition is not good. If I go to the doctor, I think my condition is fine, right? I went to the doctor and thought my condition was fine. Next thing I know... Uh, he says, hey, we need to cut on your neck. I'm like, ugh, my condition wasn't as good as I thought, okay? Um, Jessica, what did you say? Praise. Praise, yeah. You know, we talked about that this weekend at uh, Elder's Retreat, and um, the, our distinguished Dr. Hugh Hughley led us in uh, um, a devotion on Friday night through Psalm 150, and he talked about the importance of praising him. So that's really critical to maintaining that fellowship. Anything else? Service, okay? Service, serving the Lord, all right? And being prepared to do that, all right, David? Being accountable. accountable. You know, women do that pretty well. Not so much so with men. We could work on that. Well, let me close with this. Um, One theologian, um, in comparing the walk of the believer... To something, he compared it to uh, construction. And he says this every believer is under construction. Um, If you even build something, he says, you don't expect it to always go smooth when you think about construction. Um, You'll probably, he says, be disappointed even at times. How many of you ever? Start out to build something, and you get into it, and you're just so frustrated. I've never built anything, but I'm sure that can happen. He says, in the world of construction, rarely does a project happen without problems arising. Listen to what he says. He says, whether it's rain delays... Um, cost problems or just unforeseen problems arising. It's not always smooth. And neither is the Christian life. It's not always smooth. There's times, guys, that we are off the trail. And we need to get back on that trail. And you know, we don't ever need to forget what John wrote in 1 John 1.9. In the context of fellowshipping with the Lord. When we sin, right, we need to confess that sin. And this is the picture. You know, how many of you like to walk? You like to walk or run or, right? Just pretend you like to walk or run. Not too many like to do that. But as a believer, we're walking, right? We're walking our trail. and We're living the Christian life. And we are. We're saying, Lord, I want to represent you well. And, and that's our heart's desire to do that. And then something happens and we're not representing him well. What do we do? We just keep going on? Or do we confess that sin? Because at that point in time, when I'm in sin, I'm not in fellowship. Can I illustrate something for you that um, might be hard to hear? But it illustrated for me as I was talking with the Lord this week I'm like Lord there's an illustration that's hard to hear but I think illustrates when one can be deceived about their fellowship there are times when you and I are in aught with our brother or sister true can happen can happen in churches in fact I would say it happens in churches a decent amount And you see people walk out of the church and they're stomping their feet and they're saying things they probably shouldn't say. We'll just say a person's doing that. And they walk out and they leave and say, I'm never going back to that church. And remember, they're walking their Christian life, but at that point in time, they're in sin. And instead of making that right... They change churches. And then what happens? Everything's good. Is everything good? Probably not. I have a conviction in my life is from the scriptures. Paul says it in Romans as much as possible, be at peace with all men. So, how much more imperative is it for believers? To be in fellowship with God and one another. I will readily admit to you. That there have been times in my life. Where the Lord has had to deal with me on that. And I can say in front of the Lord. To my knowledge at this point in my life. When he's shown me to go make something right with another believer. I do it. I don't know of anybody. I mean you might be boiling hot mad at me right now. But I don't know of anybody right now that I am out of fellowship with. I know a lot of people that I have disagreements with. But I have done, I have done what the Lord shown me to do. The point of that illustration is this. We need to make sure that we know when we are in fellowship with the Lord. And we're walking with Him. So, I know it's a lot to think about. I know it's not one of those top ten encouraging messages that you're going to put up there but I do believe it's really, really critical to understand. All right? Let's have prayer, and then Kevin's going to come. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to depend on ourselves. We don't have to try and produce righteousness in our own strength. But, Lord, that righteousness is produced through us as we're abiding in you. And I believe John has in mind these believers and that they're being attacked by the enemy and he wants them to remember the foundation that they have and he wants them to understand the importance of living in Christ and abiding in Christ and and living the Christian life and representing him well and and not looking like the world as he wrote in chapter 2, don't love the world or the things in the world and and that can happen. That can creep into our lives. And so I just pray by your spirit you would help us to live the Christian life uh, to your honor and to your glory. And all these things I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
4: All right, guys, let's stand. Bab was talking about uh, knowing when we're in fellowship with the Lord. And uh, that last verse was John 15. Verse 11 that I'd read earlier, Jesus said, I write these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So maybe a good question for us to ask this morning is, are we absent joy? Are we absent the joy of the Lord? So this is a song of, this song has ministered to me so much the last couple of years. If you guys listen to Christian radio, you've heard it, you know it, please sing. Please sing with me. And if you don't know it, the chorus becomes very, very familiar.
2: Crying. We're gonna shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be crying. We're gonna shout out your praise. We sing to the God who hears. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way, cause he hung up on that cross, and he rose up from that grave, my mind a rolling stone's away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, but we won't be quiet. we're gonna shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Our God is surely in this place, we won't be quiet, we're going to shout out your
4: praise. We were the beggars,
2: we were the beggars, and now we're royalty, we were the prisoners, and now we're we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing
3: praise.
2: We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, I'll sing. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We're gonna shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We're gonna shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord Our God is surely in this place We won't be quiet
1: Okay. You do that well. We appreciate those guys, don't we? All right. Well, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank you for our time together, and thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that we're we're not uh, uh, in bondage, um, and we have the freedom to be able to worship. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in bondage who don't have that freedom. We just pray today for them. And I just pray that you would encourage them uh, through your word. And help us, Father, uh, by your spirit uh, to live the Christian life uh, to your honor and your glory. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.